Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Haj Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I will reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and we're also very good friends. And this intro is never pre-recorded. We do it live every single time. Isn't and it, right, is, ben? it is excruciating every time. <laughs> um... We're such good friends and we're such good professionals that I will now take the time to let Ben handle the mic and tell you, dear listener, where you can find all of his latest work. For those Go for who, it, Ben. For those who are listening, don't worry. I have my own mic, so Sammy can't can't surreptitiously take it out of out of Give my possession. Uh, you can find my work at Motor Trend, at Car Driver, at Inside Hook, and at Haggerty. And you can find my work, in case you're wondering. Uh, at driving.ca, autotrader.ca, Nouveau Magazine, Car and Driver, and Automotive News. And and speaking of Car and Driver, Sammy is currently in the, the issue that's on news, newsstands right, right now as we speak. So go check that out. It's a cool story. The very and... confusingly timed February slash March issue. <laughs> yeah. I love to be in confusion. So you'll see some uh, inf- interesting news about one of my favorite technologies, Head Up Displays. Um, but we're going to be talking about a whole different kind of technology today. Isn't that right, Ben? I'm excited. I've been looking forward to this podcast for a little while now because I have a lot of opinions about the technology we're going to discuss. And those opinions are going to coalesce around the vehicle that I happen to drive that embodies that technology. Uh, I finally drove the Toyota Mirai, Sammy. Wow. And for those who maybe aren't familiar with the Mirai, and there's... A billion reasons why you would not be familiar with this car. It is Toyota's hydrogen-powered sedan, or I should say hydrogen fuel cell-powered sedan. Now, the Mirai has been around for a while. The second-generation car, I believe, appeared last year, I think a 22 model. I'm not sure if 23 was a switchover. But they, they, it is a weird vehicle for so many reasons. Um, even if you leave aside the fact that is hydrogen powered. It's based on like a rear wheel drive Lexus platform. I think it's the same like TNJAL or something like that that underpins the LX or not the LX. Is it the LS, the the full size Lexus sedan? So it's a rear wheel drive Toyota sedan, which doesn't exist in no. North America. No, no. It has styling that I guess could best be described as like less angry Lexus. It's it's kind of like the same curves if they the same sharp edges that they've been kind of curved and and blended in to make it a little more friendly looking. Uh, it's fairly large, like I'd say a little bit bigger than a Camry. And, yeah, it looks big too. Yeah, it does, and it is only sold, I believe, in California and Hawaii. Uh, wow, those they, are. That's, those are two different markets. <laughs> yeah. Well, the reasons why it's only sold in those markets is because in the United States of America, those are the only states where you can actually find hydrogen fuel stations. So far. I mean, so far, it's been like a decade. Yeah. And they... <laughs> I'm going, we're going to talk about that in a minute, but yeah. Yeah. So there's this hydrogen... Fuel is a super strange thing that has been hanging around for a really long time. There's There are two hydrogen vehicles in the market right now. There's the Mirai from Toyota, and there's the Nexo from Hyundai, I believe. And wow, if, I completely forgot about the Nexo. Yeah, again, I, why did you forget about the Nexo? Because it's only sold in two states. Uh, it, it, both of these companies, I mean, not Toyota so much, but Hyundai, I believe, has had a Santa Fe in the past that was mm-hmm. made of 
that, that, that had a fuel cell. BMW had a fuel cell vehicle for a while. They also had a 7 Series that just burned straight hydrogen in an internal combustion engine, from what I remember. Yeah, I remember that, too. That seemed weird. Yeah. Th- but that's different than what this car. These hydrogen fuel cell cars don't do that. No. So a fuel cell car is, at its core, it's a hybrid. Or sorry, not yeah. a hybrid. It's, it's, it's a, an electric vehicle. But instead of using a battery... To, to store the energy, yes. it, it relies on the energy stored in the hydrogen fuel. And yes. that's kind of a complicated sentence. So think about a gallon of gasoline. Gasoline is really just an energy storage unit. Mm-hmm. Like one gallon of gas contains X amount of energy. You put X uh, Y numbers of gallons in your car and you can drive Z miles and produce yep. Produce double Z power, like however we, you want to. Are we gonna keep using uh, letters? <laughs> I, I regret starting with X because <laughs> I very quickly ran right out on. of letters for my automotive algebra. But yeah. that's that's essentially how it works. For a battery powered car, the energy is stored in like a lithium ion or nickel cadmium battery pack, and that can be charged through an external source. Instead of filling a fuel tank, you're filling the battery pack itself with electricity, and then that electricity is sent to an electric motor to drive the car. For a fuel cell-powered car, the the energy is stored in... It's kind of similar to gasoline in that the hydrogen fuel has an energy potential, but mm-hmm. only when it's combined with oxygen, which again, I guess, is the same as gasoline. It has to be combined with oxygen to burn. But instead of burning... The combination takes place inside something called a fuel cell stack, which is a – it's kind of a – it's a chemical reaction that occurs between the oxygen and the hydrogen to generate electricity. And that produces no byproducts other than water. So it's as clean, quote-unquote, as an electric car in terms of tailpipe emissions. Um, but – it doesn't require that you plug into anything for like 18 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, whatever it is. You can theoretically go to a hydrogen fuel station, attach the plug, and within five minutes you've filled up, I think it's like something like 37 gallons was the tank in the Mirai. Wow. Yeah, it was really um, big. So I remember, you're, you're gonna, this is ridiculous. I drove the first generation Mirai on the launch program back in 20, holy moly, when was this? This was 2014, Ben. I drove wow. it almost wow, a decade, almost, almost nine years ago. Holy cow! Oh, I'm an ancient person now. So, um, but that that kind of indicates how the Mirai has not made any progress whatsoever on the market, and how the idea of a hydrogen economy has not materialized. Can I talk a little bit about what my experience? Because I actually have my old review um, here in front of me. It. Can I talk a little bit what my impressions were nine years ago? And then maybe later we can see, we can compare notes to see if nine years later anything has changed. For sure. I I said um, that I really liked that, you know, it was zero emissions. It had fairly smooth acceleration. um, But I really didn't like that it was very, very heavy. That charging it was actually very... um, Refueling it. Sorry, refueling it was very strange. There was like this, you have to like lock this thing in. There was no way on how to pay for the charging. As far as I remember, it was more like an access card rather than a payment card. And at the time, the Mirai was excessively ugly. Um, (laughs) And I also, like it just was, it was clumsy to drive. Um, While I said it had smooth acceleration, it was not fast. No. Um, And uh, it it was just, we, we just kept asking the same questions like, when will this be 
like more commonplace. So right? I, to follow up on a couple of your points, I agree that the original Mariah was not a great looking vehicle. The current one is much better. As I mentioned, I, I talked a bit about the styling yes. earlier. So I find that, you know, it's perfectly acceptable uh, in terms of being quick, however. So it's added a little bit of horsepower. I don't have the the exact number on hand as to how much more it is than the first generation. The original, the original had 153 horsepower and 247 pound-feet of torque. Okay, so now it has 182 horsepower. That is not enough more. 200 and, <laughs> 221 pound-feet of torque, which feels <laughs> like less. So it's weird because I found the 221 pound-foot number in a bunch of places. I also, But then there were some Toyota dealers that were saying it had 300 pound-feet of torque. I could not substitute substantiate that number so in my review i went with the 221 okay. um how did it feel so it's 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 still a heavy car it's about 4200 pounds and compare with that's you know the I old mean, one was over 4000 as well 182 horsepower is not really enough to kind of ex- get anyone excited you get the instant on aspect of the torque so that masks a little bit of the weight off the line but once mm-hmm. you're underway and you're driving it's very modest when it comes to acceleration. So it doesn't feel like a performance car. It It, it is quite buttoned down and smooth, though. So I have to say that the handling, they've it, compared to what you're mentioning mm-hmm. on the original car, it feels like they've improved that. Okay. And it's it's quite comfortable as well. Um, there's a, there's a – it really feels like an electric car in pretty much every way. There, there are two things that you'll notice about it as an owner that will set it apart from a battery car, though. Uh, the first is it has this button on the dashboard to the left of the gauge cluster that says H2O. <laughs> I love this button. Uh, I, I mean, you know, sometimes you get thirsty on a ride and uh, you need like some, you know, it'd be great to have like a fountain drink in your car. And that's the way to get it, right? So you push this button and what it does is purge the fuel cell stack of any water that's inside of it. Mm-hmm. And it does that through like a tube underneath the car. And I've read a bunch of other reviews or I've seen videos of like other reviewers drinking that water. I drank it. You drank it, Sammy? Back in the first gen. You do not know where that tube has been. That, that tube I, has I, been I, on the road. This, that is <laughs> disgusting. You need to go back. see a doctor. It's, Isn't it's your wife a doctor? Nine years ago. I didn't I had I had a different outlook on life back then. You need to speak to your 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 I don't want to, she'll be your upset. spouse who is a doctor and who is going to have words with you about drinking from a car. Um the, the, the interesting thing about this button, though, isn't so much that it does this purge thing, but if you don't do the purge thing and it's below, like, freezing, which it was the entire time I was driving the car. Oh, no. It purges itself because it doesn't want to, like, have... Ice w- up? Well, yeah, you don't want the water that's inside the fuel cell to, to in any way freeze. So, like, as you walk away from the Mirai, it, it's kind of blasting steam out of the tailpipes kind oh, of it's hot it's hot water i don't remember it being hot well i don't think it's it. i don't think it's hot but it's vapor, vapor. uh so okay. this vapor is like coming out of the car and you have no control over how long this takes so it just looks like, car, it looks like your car is like at its own rave right now well, the first time <laughs> I, the first time it happened i was like did i really turn it off like what's going on because i didn't know this i hadn't read mm-hmm. the manual yet and I, I hung around for a little while, like waiting for it to stop. And then I just, I just cast my fate to the wind and went inside my house. And eventually, it's, I guess it stopped. I don't know, but mm-hmm. it happened every time I turned off the car. So the, that, that's one thing that's going to be different. The other thing is it has like no trunk space. <laughs> Sorry, I remember the original having very little trunk space. It's a big car with no trunk. 
Because as far as I remember, there were two hydrogen tanks. Now, I don't know why there were two. So the new car uh, has three. Oh, great. <laughs> There's like a big, so instead of a drive shaft, because you don't need a drive shaft with an electric no. vehicle, right? You can you can have the, the electric, uh, the, the fuel cell setup is like at the front of the car, which is weird when I think about how the steam was coming out of the back. I don't know exactly how that works. But yeah. uh, the fuel cell, I believe, is at the front of the car. Cool. Is that is that right? And then the electric motor is at the rear because it's a rear-wheel drive. So you don't need a drive shaft. You just need to send electricity to the motor. So in place of the drive shaft, there's this like big cylindrical tank. And then at the back of the car, there's another tank. I think it's on like the right side on the bottom. And there's a third tank. I can't remember exactly where it is. It's it's horizontally opposed, I think, again, to the big cylinder tank in the middle. Um, Here, that I'm was, sending you a photo of what I found. That was one of the improvements they the, made. The cross. I mean, who knows if this is real, but yes. <laughs> well, there's actually a really great vi- – yeah, you can see see the third tank is in yeah. the back, and then you have like – yeah. It's almost like the T-cell battery that used to be in the Volt. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, look, looking at this, Sammy, like it does look like – at the front, that's the fuel cell, right? Mm-hmm. And then at the rear, that's the electric motor. I love yeah. how no one can see this, what we're talking about. I love that it's – I, I don't remember the original being rear-wheel drive. That's something I'm going to have to double check. I don't remember uh, either. Um, but, uh, in any case, uh, not having any trunk space in a car that big, it's, you know, I understand why it's like that because this is basically a proof of concept vehicle. Uh, and it's not really intended to be a real world vehicle, which is something we're going to talk about in a minute. Okay. Um, but it is a little bit disappointing, but other than that, very, very normal, very, very kind of like everyday car. Yeah. Okay. Tell me a little bit more about that because, um, Technically speaking, this is a fifty thousand dollar car. A fifty thousand dollar car. Yeah, and, and it can be a sixty-six thousand dollar car. I believe the top, which trim. I think are reasonable price points. No, are you serious for a one hundred and eighty-two horsepower, forty-two hundred oh, pound car? It is pretty and it's large, but apparently not useful. Um, the not useful would be the most generous way to describe. Oh, I was the just Mirai. talking about practical practicality wise. Yeah, so I, I I don't want to talk too much about how the Mirai drives. I I think everything I've said is as much as you need to know because yeah. no one is going to buy this car. Okay. Um, this is a vehicle that exists for one reason only, and that's because Toyota has decided not to invest in battery-powered vehicles. They This is the second or first largest car company in the world, and they currently only offer one mainline battery-powered car in North America, and they're bringing a Lexus version of it, a, a, not a Lexus version, but a Lexus battery car later this year. Like it is a, a Lexus months. version of it. Oh, it is? It's the same it platform? Is. It's, a, it's the okay. same platform. So you compare the fact that Toyota has these two, well, one and a half, because it hasn't even got here yet, these two battery-powered vehicles compared also, to... Also, they had to make it with Subaru. Remember that. Yeah. Compared <laughs> to what GM, um, Vol- even Volkswagen, you know, a company that, yeah. that was Hyundai. on the outside looking in until very recently when it came to batteries. Hyundai and Kia. Yeah. These are all companies that have firmly The German invested. automakers. And yet Toyota does not believe in a battery-powered future. Toyota is really pushing the idea that future motoring will involve gas, a combination of gas-powered vehicles hybrid vehicles and hydrogen vehicles that is where their focus is and they are relentlessly myopically focused on hydrogen technology to the point where i believe it is detracting from what the i I think that they they have lost the plot of where the future of the automotive mainstream is going i think you're onto something with that because and, and it is really frustrating to hear it because they were among 
the first to hit the market with a, a, a hybrid car. They weren't the first, because I think the Toyota, I mean, the Honda, not the Element. No, it was, was the, the Insight. Or what? Insight. Insight came out first. Yes. But wasn't really effective. And then the Prius no, came the Insight out. Was, the Insight was great, but it was a two passenger hatchback. And it was kind of a mild hybrid more than a real, a full hybrid, I no, think. No, it was a full, it was as hybrid as things got back then. But it, unless you were someone whose lifestyle fit into that very specific mold, it yes. wasn't super popular. And then the Prius came and the Prius was, um, I mean, it wasn't super fast. It wasn't, you know, really big, but it was like affordable and it was really good on gas. And it was simple and normal to drive, right? Sure. And I think for a long time, Toyota was, you know, the champion of hybrids. Everyone else has caught up to them. Um, and they have still, well, maybe not even caught up. They've, they're still quite good with their hybrid offerings. But it felt like they were constantly saying to people like, oh, hybrid is the future. We're, we're investing in the future motoring technology. And now, as other automakers have invested and shown the potential. And it of, eclipsed Toyota. Yes. Up. And then in, in electrification as well. Toyota is still back there going, no, hybrids are, are the real future. And, and you feel kind of like, well, didn't you guys? Didn't you guys used to have an open mind? Didn't you used to want to innovate and show all this new, new these these potential futures for the motoring world, right? Yeah, and now if they if you say the word innovate, they just point to the Mirai, and I'm about to tell you why that's a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Um, in Canada, <laughs> remember we were talking about how there's just two states that have uh, filling stations in the United States, mm-hmm. so there are only between like eighty and hundred filling stations. Period. In the entire country. In, in, in the U.S. or in Canada? In, in the U.S., in those states. It's it's embarrassing in Canada, isn't it? Aren't there two? I, I don't know. I do know that there's none in Montreal, which is the second largest city in the country. Yeah. The only hydrogen filling station in Quebec is in Quebec City, the capital city, which is about a two-hour drive from Montreal. So in there, there was no way for me to get fuel like at a at a conventional station. So what Toyota did was they had a, a mobile hydrogen fueling station brought to their corporate headquarters in Montreal, set up in the parking lot, and then I was able to fill up there. But there was a, a problem because for safety reasons, they can't operate that fueling station above 5,000 PSI of pressure. Okay. It takes 10,000 PSI to fill the Mirai's tank. So in order to put... In order to get any fuel out, they have to cut off at 5,000 because it starts pushing back into the fueling tank. Right. So I only got a half tank of fuel, which gave me like 130 miles of range. Oh, yeah. Nothing feels more like uh, – like, and, and I love this because people – like the, the, the hydrogen fuel proponents are like, it's more freeing. You're going to have more – you know, you can you – can, you can charge, or sorry, you can refuel in in five minutes. It'll be so simple. No, I don't know when 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 your fueling infrastructure is not good enough and the car can fight back against it. That's a problem to me. And, well, and even, gotta... even at a conventional hydrogen station like you would find in California, yeah, there's a problem with I, the five. It did, it did take five minutes. It wasn't it wasn't difficult. There were no crazy safety procedures we had to go through. The 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 tank on the trailer was like covered with all these warnings. Like there were all these signs that said like no cell phones, no open flames. I was taking pictures with my cell phone the whole time. No one said anything. I don't think it's that big of a deal. And you know, people say, oh, hydrogen's flammable. Well, so is gasoline. You know, like this is something we often forget because we're so accustomed to interacting with it. We get comfortable with it. But um, the other thing is in the United States, 
the the pressure is an issue for stations because in between filling up one vehicle and another, it has to repressurize. And that can take like five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. If you mm. don't wait for that to happen and someone just shows up and plugs in their car, it can take a lot longer to fill up. And okay. I've read so stories. Now we're, there's a potential for getting back into the delays that EVs bring in. Well, it's not quite that bad. But one issue that has cropped up is some of these stations are only open for certain hours of the day. And you end up with a line of cars that are waiting. And those cars can, because of this waiting period in between fill-ups, you can't just one run one right after the other. And some people end up not being able to fill up. And then they have nowhere else to go. Like The thing about the hydrogen infrastructure, and I'm about to get into this, is... These stations don't exist. And unlike electricity, which has its own, I mean, electric cars, we've talked over and over about infrastructure problems for charging them. At the very least, you can probably run an extension cord from somewhere at some point because every home or building that you're going to encounter has electricity running to it and it's available. If your hydrogen car runs out of hydrogen, you are 1,000% screwed. You are not going to be in your driveway <laughs> ben, generating hydrogen, hydrogen fuel. material on the planet. Ah, it is, but not in free form. Not in free I love if, this conversation. If this we were always in, good. If we were in space... Yeah. If we were in space and we had a Boussard scoop on the front of a spaceship, you could collect enough free hydrogen to theoretically propel that spaceship. And you How do I bring my space hydrogen to Earth? You wouldn't even burn it in space, Sammy. You would just use the atoms to like knock against other atoms and and, and rely on that for anyway. <laughs> Here on Earth, in order to generate hydrogen fuel, you have to release it from its chemical bonds. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time that requires more electricity than is stored, the more energy to release hydrogen than it is stored in the hydrogen fuel itself. Currently. Yes, currently. Yeah. But it is problematic because you end up using, first of all, it's not efficient. Mm-hmm. You're using way more energy than you should, especially if you compare it to a battery electric vehicle. So if you look at wheel-to-well efficiency studies, and or well-to-wheel, sorry, that means the efficiency of, you know, when you pull oil out of the ground you've got to not just pull out of the ground but you have to transport you have to refine it then you have to take the refined gasoline and bring that to a fueling station and then it gets into your car it's the same with a a battery powered car the electricity that's coming out of whatever socket you're plugged into it had to be transported from wherever it was generated and it was generated in a certain specific way so if you compare the efficiency of hydrogen to electricity, electric vehicles, it's really not great. No. Uh, hydrogen fuels efficiency is just over 20%. Oof. It's uh, a battery electric vehicle, 66%. And a gas? I don't have those figures. Okay. I don't have those figures. But the, and then that I, I really want to underscore, we're just talking about efficiency. Like that's yes. energy loss and use in terms of getting that fuel to the vehicle and then having the vehicle use the fuel. We're not talking about the carbon footprint of any of this fuel. So like if that hydrogen, which is extremely inefficient, is you're you're pairing it with a coal station or like a a natural gas station, then things get like progressively pretty bad very quickly. Absolutely. Um, This is stressful to me because for the longest time, hydrogen has been considered... The future. And I, I think it could be. I it always it will be. be. Um, it's like VR. It's like need... the VR of the automotive world. Hey, VR is becoming more mainstream. You've oh, yeah, it. totally. Everyone's using VR. 
<laughs> We're going to get so many people calling us in, telling us about their new What do the PS2 kids want for Christmas? VR. PS2 VR. I use a VR headset at home. Okay. Yeah, but you um, have special needs. Yes, I know. But um, the other thing I want to say is that... Oh, shoot. Um, you don't there's, <laughs> there's, a, there's a bit of difficulty with what Toyota is, is preaching and saying. It, I think it's frustrating because... They were a pioneer when it came to fuel efficiency and being, let's say, green, the, the, the catchphrase green. Um, but recently, it seems that maybe um, they're being a little bit more offensive about how they're not responding to the certain ZEV mandates that are out there in different markets. So I'm going to say that um, during the, 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 the Toronto um, auto show that happened mid-February, there was a... Toyota Canada keynote or speech. And in that keynote, the the pres Toyota Canada president and CEO said that the ZEV mandates were not... And by ZEV, you mean zero emissions vehicles. Yes, sorry. That were not helpful and were um, a problem, were, were seemed to be problematic. And, and I don't know... They're yes, sorry. But they're definitely a problem for Toyota, right? Because yes. we just talked about how Toyota's strategy is hybrids, and hybrids are not zero emission. Hybrids, hybrids are and future partial, partial zero strategy. emission. Yes. So if as long as there's a gas or an internal combustion engine in, in the mix somewhere, mm -hmm. Toyota is always going to be, uh, I guess, lobbying against the idea of a zero emissions requirement. Yes. And um, that's, that's, like, that's a terrible look for a company in the current... In the, yeah. in the current environment that we find ourselves in. Look, it's Toyota is on the wrong side of history here. They made a choice 10 years ago, for whatever reason, to avoid developing batteries past a certain point. They have they are up against a huge amount of inertia, right or wrong, a huge amount of inertia from governments and industry that is on board with zero emissions vehicles. Electrification. Yeah, electric vehicles. And... They Easy. are that's battery electric, vehicle. and now they're squirming. They're yep. squirming under the pressure, and as a result of that, you're going to see this. It's kind of weird to see a car company that's kind of stealing talking points from the oil and gas industry. <laughs> like I, I agree. and and I and I just want to reiterate, Honda was first, like one of the the top proponents of hydro, of hybrid technology of quote unquote electrification. And now they're like, oh, not too much though. Like yeah, Toyota, you mean Toyota, you mean yeah. Toyota? Sorry, I'm sorry. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was, I was, I was just, just inserting that there. And so now they've, they had a official statement. This is on their media site, um, from from Toyota Canada saying essentially like the government is wrong and they we shouldn't be, um, you know, approaching these these targets in the future now yeah and, and and there's a quote in there where the person who made this statement said the cost of making a mistake is too high and you and i were talking about how it really seems like toyota is realizing that now that they have made yeah. a mistake the cost of that mistake is significant and they have an entire strategy that might not be viable for them moving forward look i think gas cars are going to be on the market and part of the mix for a very long yes. time I have I no, I have no doubt of that. But I have severe doubts that hydrogen is in any way going to replace them from a fuel cell perspective. I, if and you know, you can burn hydrogen as we were talking about the BMW that burned hydrogen uh, as a as a um, a combustion type fuel. Yeah. I've actually driven a, a Mazda RX-8 that had a switch on it that could switch back and forth between gasoline and hydrogen fuel. You know, it had less power because it, in hydrogen mode because the engine wasn't. Um, like uh, oriented towards that, but it was possible, right? That's so cool. 
it, it, it's cool and all these things are great, but you're, you, you can't necessarily just snap your fingers and make the infrastructure for this work. Whereas we do have existing electric infrastructure that we can add to and improve. And I think that's the really big thing here is if this was 20 years ago and Toyota allied themselves with every other car company and used that power and might and influence to create a hydrogen economy, perhaps this would be a different conversation. Right. But that, that went in a different direction. And it used existing infrastructure instead of trying to create a whole new thing. And here we are with a company that's refusing to kind of face that reality. Um, the, the the thing is, it's not a – you can do two things at once. I mean, like Hyundai, Kia, Hyundai has a hydrogen vehicle. But you've never heard of it and they don't talk about it. The Nexo. And I think they're also trying to develop hydrogen solutions for um, non – like commercial use or whatever you want to call it, industrial sure. use. There's there's a compelling case in some ways for hydrogen fuel in to be used for fuel cell powered long distance trucking. Yeah, yeah. Like that is where you don't require a station on every corner, where you can have strategically placed like giant truck stops that just generate hydrogen. And obviously all of the same energy concerns apply that we just talked about. So this is not a fully thought out strategy, <laughs> Yeah. but it is a lot less difficult to uh, apply. Like if you look at how batteries and trucks work, that's not necessarily something. No. That, I mean, the, the amount of battery that would be required, the size of the vehicles, the weight, the range, that is something that's been challenging. If you can make and then a, we're, 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 we're creating new problems with each solution for the electrification, the electric long haul truck, I think. Sure. So right? if you, if you have a, if you were able to concentrate hydrogen infrastructure in very specific highway corridors, that's mm -hmm. a totally different story. And you don't have people showing up like a constant stream of humanity, like you do at a gas station or, or a charging station. It's a different kind of thing. So yeah. maybe, maybe that in the future, if they can figure out how to, fix the wheel to well issues is something that people would, would be interested in looking at. But from a retail consumer perspective, I mean, it, it does not seem feasible. No, but I'm just saying when Toyota made this decision, they went all in, but are no further along than, like I said, Hyundai, Hyundai has an Exo, the Nexo yeah. and EVs. That's a great, you know point. what I mean? That's a great point. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. And it's and, so weird. But it's because, you know, you just said you can do two things at once, right? And yeah. Toyota chose their second thing <laughs> to be <Yeah>. hybrids. <laughs> that was just a choice they made. It's a choice. Yeah. It's okay for companies to make a different choice. Like at this point, Toyota could say, you know what? We goofed. <laughs> it's time to get in on the battery totally. thing. Totally. What's wrong with that, right? And I mean, I think other automakers are figuring that out now as well. I think there's a, a, a few automakers that are behind the behind the, the curve in terms of electrification, but they are acknowledging that and they're saying we've got something coming that's going to be built from the ground up and, and appropriate and not just a compliance vehicle, even though it probably is compliance vehicle. There, there, are two, there are two things I want to say to kind of close out this conversation. The first is uh, this really reminds me of back in the mid-90s when the government in the United States was talking about specifically California, but also at the federal level and a couple of other states in New England were talking about zero emissions mandates. And that was the whole stimulus for GM to create the EV1 mm -hmm. and, or, and or the, the concept vehicle that became the EV1. Yep. Um, I don't know if you read the book that I gave you for Christmas. Yeah, I'm yet. halfway through it. Okay. So they, it's, there's a ton of interesting stuff there. That's uh, what you see is companies that like, 
couldn't, General Motors was like, okay, if we're going to have to build an electric car, we're going to do it. And it wasn't a decision they took lightly and it wasn't something they wanted to do, but they did it. Versus other companies that got together and decided to lobby against the idea so that they wouldn't have to do it. So they could still sell cars in a jurisdiction like California, despite not having an electric vehicle on the market. So what we're seeing now is back then, most car companies didn't want to do an EV. So they were against these mandates. Now we have one car company against this mandate and everyone else is on board with EVs. It's like it's flip-flopped it. Whereas GM was going going it alone with the EV1. Now you have Toyota going it alone by saying, you know, we're going to have to have gas all the time. Absolutely no, no exceptions. So I find that 30 years later, a very interesting, uh, you know, history, cyclical uh, display of how history can work sometimes. The other That's thing, a good point. Yeah. The other thing about the the hydrogen powered cars, specifically the Mirai, I I have nothing but you know lukewarm praise for it. It's perfectly fine, and I think that's a huge problem because you and I have talked about the idea that if you're going to change people's minds about a technology, you really need to wow them and impress them with it. It has right. to be something really. I should have gotten into the Mirai and been like, you know what, this is really cool. I want to tell everyone about the Mirai yeah, because absolutely. because of X, Y, and Z or double Z or triple Z, right? Like going back to my and algebra. getting that with EVs right now too, right? Like yeah, this 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 Mirai is an electric vehicle that costs as much as say the high-end Kia EV GT, mm-hmm. EV6 GT. With 500, with has 576 horsepower. horsepower. And it blows it away in a straight line. And meanwhile, I'm in the Mirai just kind of dawdling along, you know. <laughs> it's like they, they could have made this really cool. Maybe they couldn't. I don't know. Maybe the technology doesn't exist. <laughs> but I would like to think that Toyota could have done it. Yeah. And then maybe... You know, the other problems about hydrogen don't go away, but the conversation tilts in a different direction. I start saying we should find a solution to these problems because look because at what the, the car is cool. The car yeah. is good. The car is interesting. Like there's, yeah. But there, this is there, a you car. You need to build up a bit of passion, right? Like There's yeah. very little about this car that makes me want to endure all of the hassles I would have to endure as an owner to have a hydrogen vehicle. You know, like when the first Tesla Roadster came out and it was super quick and really neat and everyone was like, holy cow, this is, this is amazing. You know, like it's really fast and yeah, it's a huge hassle and I have to plug it in at home and there's no charging or whatever, but just look at how neat this is. I mean, there's no hydrogen equivalent of that. No, that's a problem, right? It's a definitely, it's a huge problem for Toyota. I can tell you that. Anyway, this isn't a real car. This is a car that exists because they want to prove a point. They're selling it to a very limited audience. There's no infrastructure to support it. So it is a huge hassle to own. And I don't expect anyone listening is ever going to buy a, a Mirai or even maybe see a Mirai. Like they're, they're super rare. And it's just, it's a very strange subset niche, ultra niche slice of the auto industry. Okay. And I'm glad I got to experience it um, because it showed me from the inside out just how unready it really is for prime time. So I want to... I want to talk a little bit about my experience with hydrogen. I've driven the first-gen Mirai. I've also driven a Clarity. It's called the Honda Clarity FCEV. And I've driven a Nexo very briefly. The Clarity um, is no longer. I believe no. the Clarity was hydrogen fuel cell, and then they stopped. <laughs> and made it um, a plug-in hybrid. There you go. It's almost like you that's can, logical. You can change strategies, guys. <laughs> So, but recently I spent some time in Europe as part of, I I actually attended the Lexus RZ program and we'll be talking about that um, later on in March. But um, while I was there, I did see a number of hydrogen vehicles, including some Mirais on the, on the road. So 
I'm I'm curious. It's a different infrastructure over there. I don't know how they're making it kind of uh, add up. I think is the is the difficult question that we talked about earlier in terms of efficiency and energy use. But while I was in Europe, I got to visit a bunch of um, things that reminded me of Toyota's passion. Man, um, I went to a couple of Toyota Europe m- museums, including one at their Toyota Europe headquarters, Wait, and then many, another one. How many Toyota yeah. Europe museums are there? Exactly. How many could there be? Both of them were in um, Cologne, Germany, um, and the one was in Toyota Europe. What that covered all sorts of vehicles around the world, and uh, of sorry, around the global. Um, portfolio. And the other one was the Gazoo Racing or GR Racing um, Museum, which specifically focused on Toyota's motorsports history, which was really cool as well. Um, First of all, there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot of cool cars to talk about, but I probably won't, I probably won't get into too much detail about all of them, but it was very cool to see all of these, you know, Supras lined up next to, next to each other. What was your favorite? What was your favorite? And what was, what was your favorite car that you saw, and what was the the rarest car that you saw? So I think it's tough to say rarest because there are some cars that are, like, um, unobtainium. I don't know what you want to call them. They're not real cars. There might be concepts or something like that. They're like I, the Mirai, then. Yeah. <laughs> so in the in the standard museum, I saw, you know, I you know, I, you know me, I have a, a, a really deep love for those Toyota Land Cruisers. Yes. Uh, especially, like, the FJ40s. Um, and there were quite a, a few of these really pristine FJ40s that you just you just don't see around, and they're in just perfect condition. And we got to jump in and out of them, and it was great. Um, there was another, like uh, like kind of like the Previa wagon. Do you remember the? I'm sorry, not Previa wagon, the Previa minivan. Yes. Um, and they had like these three rows of seatings that could that could all lay down flat and kind of be like a bed. And that just seemed like a fun time to me. What are you trying to say, Sammy? Um, and then, of course, there's a couple of 2000 GTs, and we even we also were were handed the keys to to check these out and crawl up in them and see if we could fit in them. And surprisingly, it it is a it is a car for a different size of person. But one car that I that I that caught my attention was this vehicle called the Sarah, um, S E R A. I'm gonna make sure that. Um, it was a production vehicle because it doesn't seem like a... Uh, yeah, it's a production vehicle. I see them in Montreal sometimes. Okay. This is a sweet little car with these kind of like butterfly doors. It's a tiny little car. I want to say it's a Paseo. Like it's a Paseo underneath. It's close to the Paseo. I think you're right. I think that's that's appropriate. And uh, the model that I got to see had like an extra little feature about its its sound system. They had two modes for the sound <laughs> system. Um, and I kept saying this car really like understands me. There's a casual mode, which provided indirect sound. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. What is indirect sound? I don't know. That sounds terrifying. Indirect sound is like what I imagine you're in a horror movie and you hear like the killer on a different floor of the house doing something just before they murder you. That is my definition of indirect sound. Like I don't know where it's coming from, but my days are numbered. I wonder if there's more information about this sound system. Obviously, it's called the Super m- Live Sound System, SLSS. <laughs> um, it's super live sure. until you're super dead from this super serial killer. <laughs> Known as the Super Live Surround Sound, or SLSS, it comprised of a total of <laughs> 10 speakers in this little car? Oh, man. Wow. Wait, how big are these speakers? I've seen a Sarah. Sarah, it's not that huge. They're everywhere, according to this thing. Shout out, okay. Michael Sarah. Yes, another great Canadian there. Um, what am I trying to say here? It came with um, 
direct had indirect sound and direct thanks sound. To, what thanks was to a button called warp? You press on the head <laughs> unit, W A R P, which pr- produced slight differences in sound quality. <laughs> through preset values for settings such as bass and treble, as well as rotating the speakers in the rear unit. Wait, what? <laughs> to directly project into the car or bounce off the rear window, okay? Oh, so that's, that's what, what indirect casual, and direct are. That's what it does. There so you go. one is funky and one is not funky? One is funky and one is casual. Okay, so imagine, I was thinking when you said like slight changes in sound, can you imagine you're the engineer who's trying to make the business case for this button and you're like in the meeting and they're like, so what does the button do? And you're like, well, <laughs> it doesn't do that much, but it's going to add 50 cents to every car we build. And then <laughs> yeah. some guy in the back is like, why don't we just rotate the speakers? <laughs> yeah. And you, we've talked about, you know, speakers in cars or sound systems in cars. It's the most difficult thing to work with. Windows are a major issue. And they they were like, you know what? What if we just had the sound bounce off the window what on the purpose? The car is just 100% windows anyway. Like, the stereo <laughs> yeah. is like, a, it's like, it's kind of like someone took an Isetta and gave it like the fr- a front end. Yes, absolutely. I thought this was a really cool car. I loved it. It just gave me so much joy. Um, so I'm very happy that uh, I got to check this thing out. Did, and they, then did the... you get to hear the sound? No, I didn't. I didn't. I should have gotten the keys for that. You didn't that have a cassette so with you? It didn't have a, like, Can you a, imagine? a Toyota cassette ready to go? It had a CD player. Wow, that's amazing. I Just... also didn't have a CD. <laughs> I don't know why I had to point that out. <laughs> You don't travel with a loose CD in your pocket. Like yeah, it's so scratched case. up, but let's give it a shot. Just in case. But it was such a cool... To me, it, it is such a joyful car. It's one of these things that looks so... You know, you see it with these really funky doors. You see it when the it's all this window. It's got windows inside of its window. Um, it is such a cool looking, like it feels so 90s. It's like I an SVX, that, right? but it's wearing like one of those visors you see older women wearing at the casino. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like it's got yeah. that giant thing. I, I guess older men wear this visor too, but I guess it's more stereotypically, it's a, it's a, it's a casino visor for, for retirees. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm all about this. And then over at the, um, at the Gazoo Racing Museum. Probably the coolest car I saw was the GT1, which was this, you know, road car version of their Le Mans car. I remember that car was the best car in, like, Gran Turismo 2. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Um, and they gave us a bit of history. I didn't realize that this car was never sold. Well, who and, would buy it, Sammy? Superman? And, <laughs> and beyond that, um, it didn't really um, drive either. There, it was, like, practically impossible to, to drive. What does that mean? Does it mean it had no pedals? Like, what is practically impossible? Oh, it had pedals. It, you couldn't see out of it. Um, they just said basically it has like they're like it has twenty about twenty thousand kilometers on it, mostly by pushing it around. <laughs> How do you push something for twenty thousand kilometers? That seems crazy. I want one road car, right? Um, I remember driving it a lot thing? in Gran Turismo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, it clearly was drivable. Just saying. Sure. Because that was the real driving simulator, Sammy. Yes. But you mean to say you drove the race car version of it? No, they had the road car. So they had to build um, a road car in order for the race car to qualify. And that's it. That's what they did. They they built this road. They said it's a road car. They put a a plate on it. And nobody nobody owned it. Nobody drove it. Nothing. You gotta love the days when you could just build like one car instead of thirty cars or whatever the rules are now. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, of course, the other things is, you know, you, you get to see a lot of um, passion. They they love endurance racing, right? Like, they just really do. It took them a long time to get some um, wins, overall wins at, at Le Mans. They finally did it when there was no competitive competition, which is a bad look. But I think the competition... <laughs> did you bring that up? Were you <laughs> Everyone brought it up, honestly. Um, and they also talked about, I think, 2016 when they were... They were leading uh, on the final lap, and then their car broke, which no is a very to... non-Toyota thing to happen. That's like another, like, not a great look where you bring that up, where you're like, hey, remember when we almost won and then yeah. we didn't win? That's like something your uncle, who, like, almost made a football team one time, would talk about. And he's like, I was 19 years old, and I tried so hard, and I was like... I could have been, I, I oh, been something. I was the last one cut. It's like, that's a story you take to your grave. Like, no one wants Aww. to hear your super sad I was the last one story. You know what? I think they were a little bit humbled by it because, from what I understand, they kind of, like, really went um, – they, they really, like, doubled down on how they were going to focus and, and attack that, that next season with no competition. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, the winning conditions we need are we are the only, <laughs> the only players on the field. That is the solution for total sports. So as far as I understand, they're going to have some serious competition coming up. I think they're like, they're in this new hypercar series. Time to withdraw. I mean, it's. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think everyone's coming for them. I always laugh at this because we've gone to so many Mazda programs and Mazda likes to say that they're the, they're the only Japanese automaker to win Le Mans. And ever since Toyota won, they have to redo all those, uh, all those slides. Well, they can just be the first. First, exactly. Yeah. Well, I have no. a I have a giant. Uh, what do you call those things? Um, where it's like a it's 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 a it's an art image, but it's printed on like a plastic, like laminated board kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about a vinyl lithograph. Print? Lithograph. Lithograph. Okay. So I sorry I, sorry I don't know all your fancy school words, Sammy. <laughs> I don't know the term. Coming back from know. Sammy came back from Europe this morning. Can you tell? Um, <laughs> the I found this at a so. There's this weird kind of – it's not really a recycling center, but it is a recycling center. And they sell stuff, I guess, that's too good to recycle. It's kind of weird in Montreal. And I found this giant lithograph there, and it's the 787B, the Mazda. And it's, it's you know, it's got the renowned livery on, on it and everything. And on the top of it, it's like racing, and it says, we had quite a following at Le Mans this year. And then it lists all the cars that came in after it. <laughs> Like the cars that finished second and third and fourth and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. So they've been they've been you know playing that violin a long time and you know I'm I'm into it. But hold on, I need to make sure I got all these dates right. What? Maybe dates? I got them all all wrong. It doesn't matter. No one is fact checking this. It's a podcast. They probably are. If you are fact checking this, it was 2017 me. when they blew it. That's what happened. Okay. I think. So Sammy is very sorry? Question mark that he got that one year date wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but they yeah. did it in the next year. And the next year after. If you do want to fact check our podcast, there's a oh, bunch no. of ways you can get in touch with Don't us. Don't do it. I'm, I'm, um, I'm delirious and really jet lagged. You can you can reach out to Sammy uh, on Twitter. He is at Sammy underscore ha like you're laughing. He wants to hear from you immediately. Uh, you can find <laughs> me on Instagram. I'm at Hunting Benjamin. Or you can email me directly, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Or... If you just want to do web stuff, and I get it, you can go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. We have a contact form there. You type in all sorts of stuff and then click send, and then it comes in our inbox, and we get to read it, and Sammy will be happy to be corrected. Uh, Any kind of endurance racing information, he just needs to be set on the the proper path. Um, 
You can also subscribe to us while we're th- while you're there on automotivepodcast.com or on any podcatcher. If you do subscribe to us or you listen to an episode, give us a little rating. Yeah, say five stars, ten stars, fifteen stars, whatever it is. Yes or no? Uh, comments. Those thumbs are, up. Those two are, thumbs up, maybe. Sure, those are always very helpful. It helps more people find the podcast, and that means we can send Sammy to Europe more often. Thank you. Finally. <laughs> so, what are you going to be talking about uh, next week? I've got a couple of uh, options next week. I, uh, I've also got uh, some electric vehicles to try out, things that we've tested before, but I don't think we've ever compared them directly, you know, like the Mustang Mach-E and the Hyundai Ioniq 5. Um, and I also have a Honda CRV to talk about, and I think I forgot to talk about the Camry Hybrid I was supposed to talk about today, but we've, we've gone long enough. I forgot to talk about the Toyota RAV4 hybrid that I also drove. <laughs> oh, no. But I, next week I would prefer, I think, to talk about the Hyundai Palisade, the, the redesigned Palisade. So I'm very interested right. in seeing how that stacks up to a vehicle that has really changed a lot of things about the SUV, SUV market. Sounds good. I can't wait to talk to you about it next week. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Bye.